0: Good morning, everyone. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. The scripture text that we will be looking at for today is in Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 through 6. This particular passage can be found on page 596 of the blue ESV Bibles, um, which are located in the back pocket seat cover in the seat in front of you. As always, those Bibles are available for you to take home if you do not have one. Once again, we'll be reading Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 through 6. It says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb. Standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes Which are the seven spirits of god sent out into all the earth thus says god's word
1: Thank you raven. Let's pray together Father, thank you for the word We thank you that it is true in every aspect that it is um, given for us so that you would be revealed to us. Lord, we wouldn't know anything about you uh, that would be beneficial for our salvation if we did not have the word of God. And so we thank you for the word. We thank you that the word tells us about Jesus. We thank you that you have revealed your son through the word. And and um, Lord, we pray that as we ponder your word, as we consider it, as we listen to it this morning, that the Son would be revealed to us, that we would see Jesus, and that our lives would be changed, that we would be transformed from the inside out because we have seen Him. And Lord, we pray that in order to do that, that You would do a work on our ears, that You would do a work on our hearts, and that You would make us receptive, Lord, that You would teach us what these words mean. Lord, I pray that this morning as Your herald that You would Allow me to be faithful to what you've written, and Lord, that I would I would be very uh, careful and concerned for your people's benefit as I give them the word. I pray that they would, uh, God, benefit from it and that they would feast on you this morning because of what's presented to them in the word. I thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Well, did you enjoy those Christmas songs this morning in worship? That was kind of nice, wasn't it? I love this time of year. And uh, so every year around this time, usually we, we take a few weeks, and we preach um, sermons that are focused on the time of year that we find ourselves in. We did that a couple weeks ago. It, it's kind of the way it worked. We were able to finish one series and begin this series. Then last week we talked about what Mary actually knew um, in the... Uh, in the coming of Christ, and generally, if you were coaching me, if you were going to give me some direction, you would point me to Matthew chapter one and two, or Luke chapter one and two for today's message. This is the last message before Christmas. Um, but i want to I want to think that it would be a mistake not to go there, of course, I've done it many times. But to limit ourselves for a Christmas message to Matthew 1 and 2 or Luke 1 and 2. Obviously, these passages are very important to the biblical story. They tell us what happened historically in the events surrounding the birth of Christ. They talk to us about the angel visiting Mary and Joseph's vision during a, 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 the night of the angel ta- telling about the coming of Jesus and how he's going to be born to Uh, Mary and we learn of Joseph and Mary traveling to Bethlehem, finding no room in the end. And so the baby is born in a stable and placed in a manger and shepherds hear of the birth from an angel and then an angel choir fills the, uh, the, the sky and on and on and on. We, we know these stories. These stories are powerful. They're, they're familiar to us. And that's not, that's a good thing. But what could be missed, honestly, if we just focus on those limited texts is the fact that is very important to us around here that the entire bible from genesis 1-1 to revelation 22-21 that whole the entire book is about jesus that's what the entire bible is about so when i come to my bible at this time of the year i do not have four chapters of texts for christmas i have 66 books of texts For Christmas. It's, he's not, Jesus is not just a character that shows up in the New Testament when we begin the Gospels, but his story is literally written in every page. Would it be okay if I demonstrate that for you for just a minute? Just kind of show you this. So we go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. And that's where the story of Jesus, obviously Jesus is from eternity, but where the revelation of God for us, about Jesus, begins right there in the book of Genesis. There's That's where we learn that he, he is both our creator, and if you get to after the fall in chapter 3, we find out that he's the seed of the woman that's one day going to crush the head of the serpent. From there, the Bible proceeds with promise after promise that he is coming to redeem his people from the curse of sin that we all inherited from Adam and Eve. When we get to the book of Deuteronomy and the law, Moses tells us that a prophet like himself will arise and he is going to have, when he shows up, he's going to have the very words of God and that the people must listen to him. And those who refuse to listen to him would be held accountable. Well, guess what? Jesus was that prophet that Moses spoke about. And and not only did he have the words of God, he personified the words of God so much so that when the apostle John is writing his story, he calls him, he, he calls him the word of God. David was told, we talked about this a few weeks ago, David was told that one of his descendants would sit on his throne forever as the king. And that his kingdom would never end. And many of David's son. This was a. This is a, if you if you were looking at this in the early stages of this prophecy, that might be a little troubling because many of David's son failed to be faithful to God. And and it, it, after not too long, it seemed that his dynasty kind of failed. But guess what? God raised up Christ, a earthly descendant of David. He was David's earthly son, and now he rules over a kingdom that will not end. Get to the book of Isaiah, a prophet of the later kingdom. And Isaiah vividly foresaw his suffering. Isaiah 53 is all about his suffering. In verse 5, he says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. David also predicted his sufferings on the cross in Psalm 22 with great specificity. It's, it, he, he points to the specific words of mockery that his accusers would hurl against him while he was on the cross. He talks about the way the soldiers would divide and gamble for his clothing. And, and even he even uh, lays out the cry of anguish that Christ would make to his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Zechariah, a much later prophet, even used images of the crucifixion. He says in chapter 12, verse 10, he says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps for a firstborn. When we arrive at the Gospels, we open the New Testament and we have... Hundreds of years of these kind of clues. I gave you just a smattering, just a handful, images, types, shadows, direct proclamations, prophecies about the coming of this Messiah. And so we get to the uh, the, over hundreds of years and we arrive at the Gospels of the New Testament and there we find, at the very beginning of the New Testament, four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, four very thorough accounts of Christ's life. They they talk about his miracles and his teachings, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension to the Father. They're testimonies to the fact that everything prophesied about him all those hundreds of years was absolutely true. It came to pass. God's promises were kept in full, and aren't you glad? The book of Acts tells us the beginning of the historical impact that was made through the church that he established. And then we get onto to the letters of Paul and James and Peter and John and Jude, and they explain what Christ has done and, and what impact that should have, how we should live in the light of the gospel. And then the Bible concludes where we looked at today with the book of Revelation, which... With all that has happened from Genesis to Revelation, we look at Revelation and our hearts are filled with the assurance that Christ reigns. We are not waiting for Jesus to reign. Guess what? Spoiler alert, He reigns right now. Christ is totally in control right now. And more than that, He will come again and make all things new. What a glorious truth that is. Amen? Hopefully all of this demonstrates on a very basic level that all of the Bible is about Jesus old testament and new from cover to cover he is the great message of god for all times now the, this book this this bible that we revere the, the words of it this is not uh, given to you. This may, this may revolutionize some of your thinking about this book. This book was not given to you for moral principles. It wasn't given to you to have inspiring stories. It wasn't given to you so you could just have dry historical and archaeological data. This is the story of Christ Jesus. It is God's announcement of His determination to save the world through His Son. And that in a nutshell, is my justification for taking the text that I've chosen to preach from this morning. This message from Revelation chapter 5. And I'm just going to focus on, I'm not going to go through the whole details, and you're not going to walk out of here knowing who the Antichrist is and when Jesus is coming back and all that stuff, so I'm I'm sorry to disappoint you. People get kind of anxious when you start talking about Revelation. But, what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on one aspect of that two, two verses that we read, and it's this. I want to look at, at this really interesting. I hope you caught it when John said this in, in Revelation chapter 5. But he calls Christ, in two verses, two different things. It, he calls him the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and then in the very next verse, He calls him a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Now, in all fairness, if you want a fuller treatment of this passage, I want to remind you that that Gabriel preached an excellent message about this in October. You can go back to our church's podcast page and listen to that. He'll give the whole thing. But I want to focus on this idea of the lion and the lamb. This scripture captures the essence of who Christ Jesus is beautifully. As to his divine nature, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The Bible is clear that Christ is just as much an agent of creation as the Father and the Spirit, and he shows up in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. Protecting his people and visiting their enemies with justice. Christ was the fourth man in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were thrown in there. And the king looks up and he sees four men in there. And he says, one looks like a son of the gods. Well, that was Jesus walking around with them. He is a lion. He's He is God. He's powerful. This is the way that, that Paul so beautifully and poetically puts it in the book of Colossians. In, in Colossians 1.15, he says, speaking of Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him, and get this, for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Matthew uh, tells us that Jesus told his disciples at the very end that all authority in both heaven and on earth have been given to me. That's what he says. The Bible tells us that he will rule the nations with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like pottery. We're told in the scriptures that Christ will be the standard by which we are judged in the end and, uh, he will be the one who sits as our judge as well. So, uh, you know, we see this, that Jesus is not just, you know, your, your buddy. I've told you this before, but when I was at camp, you know, when I was a, just a child, this, this man always referred to God as his buddy in his shirt pocket. Can you imagine that? The creator of the universe, you know, nestling into my little shirt pocket and, and being there. No, he is the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Try putting a lion in your pocket. And that, and it doesn't just tell us that he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. The Bible tells us, John tells us in Revelation, that the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. Not will conquer, you see, but he has conquered. Now, let's try to take this out of the spiritual grand theme, and let's just really think very realistically here. Imagine that you were to find yourself, for whatever reason, wandering through the African savanna, completely unarmed, and you were to stumble across a lion on the hunt. Now, if that were to happen to you, there would be no doubt whatsoever in your mind who was in charge. You would not look at that line and say, Hey, sit, stay, roll over. It's absurd. The thought of that is absurd. You would know who was in charge. Well... If you have a very narrow, religious, polished view of Jesus, let me let you in on the great secret of the universe. When you stand in the presence of Christ, you are completely unarmed. Completely. You have no defense. You have no command to give him. You have no argument to make. The Lion of Judah will do exactly what he wants to do, which is always what's right, and it's always what his holiness demands. Always. It would be the worst mistake you could make this morning for your spiritual life to imagine Jesus as a cute, tiny, little baby as an emaciated man hanging on a cross, or as hiding in the bosom of his mother, as the Roman Catholics prefer to kind of depict him. Because this reduces the lion of the tribe of Judah to a mere graven image. A false representation of who he really is. Bigger, more glorious, more powerful than we can ever, ever, ever fathom. But, see, that's not where the story ends. That's how most of us, outside of Christ, perceive Jesus as this this lion just waiting to tear into us and and devour us. But, But, see, John shows us another aspect of Christ. In the very next verse, see, he sees him as a lamb. And not just that. You know, you think about lambs as something you see in petting zoos and they're cute and cuddly. But that's not what John saw. He saw him as a lamb that had already been slaughtered if a lion is a symbol of power and glory and might surely a lamb is the exact opposite of that the lamb is a representation not of christ's divinity but of his humanity the image of this lamb bloody and slaughtered looks back to what john the baptist said of him he said look behold this is the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world. See, the Jews understood what it meant to bring a lamb on the Day of Atonement every year and slaughter it so their sins could be covered for one more year. See, Christ was a different kind of lamb. He too would be slaughtered, but he would be slaughtered once and for all, for everyone who would believe in his name. But there's more to Christ's nature. There's more in this, packed into this, when we see his title, the Lamb. Because in it, we see the very heart of Jesus Christ, as we've been learning on Wednesday nights. Remember our text for Wednesday nights that we've been studying for several weeks now? Matthew eleven twenty eight. it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Watch this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly, does that sound like a lion or a lamb? It doesn't sound like a lion. Everybody, no one would be too impressed with a gentle and lowly lion, would you? No. I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, to those who look to Christ to find rest for their souls, he is gentle and lowly. He has lamb-like gentleness to those who are caught up in their sins or in the group or in the grip rather of suffering the threat of the lion this this lion this powerful lion that threat is for those who would dare resist and rebel but to those who come to the lamb for rescue they're under no such threat at all christ was someone who welcomed children in the gospels he's someone who relieved graciously the oppression of the sick and the demon-possessed. He wept over unrepentant Jerusalem. If you want to know who Jesus is, this verse from Matthew 9, 36 is so beautiful. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It's amazing that the Lamb ultimately is our shepherd. And nowhere do we see the gentleness and meekness of Christ like in the story of his nativity. Though he was God, co-equal, co-eternal, co-essential with the Father and the Spirit, though he was enthroned in heaven and though he was worshipped by angelic beings from all eternity, he took the form of a little baby and he was born of a woman, just like you and I were. And as to his humanity, he was a normal baby. He cried. You know, the song says, no crying he makes. That's, that's heresy, because that baby cried, I'm telling you. See, heresy might be a strong word. You can, you can still sing that this year. He cried. He became hungry, and he nursed at the breast of his mother. God in the flesh needed his diapers changed. His parents delighted at each coup he would make and every smile. They rejoiced when he finally said his first words and took his first steps. And he played and he learned like other children. But this didn't in any way diminish the reality that he was the Son of God, that he was God himself. Though he was born into humble circumstances, Within human history, he was still from all eternity. Though he was born of Mary, he was the creator of both his mother and his father, as well as everyone and everything else. That kind of raises the stakes on the story of a little baby sleeping in a manger, doesn't it? Philippians 2 captures Jesus' humility when it says, "'Have this mind among yourselves.'" which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. What an incredible, powerful, awesome truth is given to us in those words. The one who had the form of God. Now, that doesn't mean he was like God. You know, sometimes when you read that, it sounds like it's saying, well, he was kind of like God and became kind of like a servant. No, the form of God, he took upon himself the form of a servant. And this Greek word for form that's used twice in this verse is morphe. And it means the form by which a person or a thing strikes the vision. In other words, what do you see when you look at it? What, what's the, the, for lack of a better term, what's the external appearance? What's your first impression? And it speaks of what the senses perceive. So if you, what, what it's saying what, in this verse, in the form of God, it's saying that if you had seen Christ in his pre-incarnate state, you would have recognized him immediately as God, as did many people in the Old Testament. But if you'd seen him on earth, in the flesh, during his time here in the first century, again, attacking medieval art, he wouldn't have had a little halo over his head and constantly gazing up into the heavens with this beautiful expression on his face. If you'd seen him like that, you would have recognized him from his appearance as a servant, as a commoner. Even Isaiah, in his prophecy from Isaiah 53, points to this reality. He said, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. No one looked at Jesus and said, that's the Messiah. Just in what he looked like, nothing in his external appearance. In fact, if you'll remember, when when the, the earliest disciples were so excited to him, they told some other guys about him, and they said... Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, Jesus was from the from the wrong side of the tracks. See, Christmas, though, is a, because of this reality of of Jesus's appearance. It, it, it's an amazing time of year. See, Christ appearing as a little lamb in a manger makes him really accessible to those who don't know him. Let me explain what I mean by that. Only the most hardened radical we hear stories of this the most hardened radical atheist activists are offended by the image of a child sleeping in a feeding trough but many of the most secular people in our culture find the christmas story heartwarming and even a little bit quaint they may not believe what it means but they find that the the imagery you know peace on earth goodwill toward men they find that very heartwarming And that's not entirely a bad thing. See, because the Bible celebrates the fact that when God would save humanity, He wouldn't do it from afar. And He wouldn't do it by simply making a decree and not getting His hands dirty, as it were. He did it by becoming one of us, living where we lived and walking where we walked. This is the way the writer of Hebrew puts that. He says, Since therefore the children, that's you and I, share in flesh and blood... He himself partook of the same things. And, and through death, or that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those through who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. See, let me explain to you, just make it clear to you, I don't want there to be any misunderstandings. Christian theology, solid Orthodox Christian theology, teaches that Christ at all times is fully God. He did not cease to be God during the incarnation. He is fully God, undiluted in His power and glory of His Godness. And at the same time, He's fully human, sharing with us in all of that means with the exception of our sinfulness. But nevertheless, though He never sinned, He took upon Himself both the guilt and the penalty of all of our sin and therefore reached the full measure of what it means to be human. And this was the point, the very point of his glorious life. As we sing in our song, the the sinless Savior died, the perfect sacrifice for unworthy humanity. He redeemed his elect forever from the curse of sin and death. The majestic lion became a humble lamb and was slaughtered. And yet he was raised and will never more see death. And now he's enthroned as the lion that has conquered and that will rule the nations and be worshipped forever. And yet to his people, to you and I, those who believe in his name, he remains a lamb. Sacrificed for their sin and his blood of the slaughtered lamb the symbol of his unending intercession for them. I love this idea of intercession. We talked about that on Wednesday night as well. A couple of weeks ago, Romans 8.34 says, Who is to condemn? In other words, who's going to say something to justly you know, put you back in your place, you rotten sinner? It says, who is going to condemn? Who's going to you know, deliver the final verdict against you? Who's going to condemn you? This Christ, Jesus, is the one who died and more than that, who was raised. Now watch this. He's seated at the right hand of God and who indeed is interceding for you. The reason you're saved right now is because what of what Christ has done and what Christ is doing. He's interceding for you right now and keeping you in his grace. His wounds are our plea before the throne of God in heaven that we are forgiven, and that for all eternity. As long as Jesus lives, He is the Lamb interceding for us. And newsflash, it's the good part of this, He lives forever. He will never more die. And because He lives forever, if you believe in His name, so will you. Hebrews 7.25 consequently he is able to save to the uttermost that means you're not going to die physically spiritually emotionally any other way consequently he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to god through him since he always lives to make intercession for them see those that never look to him for the this is the downside those who never look to him for the grace that he now offers freely will never ever know him in his gentleness All these things we're talking about, about His gentle, lamb-like nature, will be completely lost on the people who never call out to Him. They may know Him in the story of a baby born in a manger in Bethlehem in some historical sense, but they will never experience for themselves the meekness that submitted to death on a cross out of love for His own. All they will know is the roar of a lion that roars and decrees perfect justice when the time for mercy is finally past. They will not experience the gentle and lowly heart of Christ or benefit from it. They'll only experience a judge having full evidence of our crimes and who is willing to uh, to render a swift verdict. And in that moment, all the images and imaginations of who we thought Christ was whether it's a harmless baby in a manger or a wise teacher with lily white skin and flowing blonde hair or a beat up man still hanging on a cross, all of those images will be worthless to us. You know why? Because the lion will reveal himself in glory. And Revelation tells that either glorious or horrifying event in these words, depending on... Whether you believe in Him or not, it will be either glorious. If you don't believe in Him, it will be horrifying. This is the way Revelation puts it. And then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness He judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on His head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. The armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So as you see nativity scenes in your living room or in people's yards as you hear choirs singing, hark the herald Angel sings away the manger, things like that, don't be deceived about who it was that was lying in that manger. Without a doubt, and certainly he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but make no mistake about it, he is also the Lion of of the tribe of Judah, who has conquered, and according to Revelation 5, is worthy. The lion of the tribe of Judah has long ago abandoned the manger. He ain't there no more. He has abandoned the manger. There is no baby there anymore. See, that child grew and he fulfilled his holy mission and he has ascended to the right hand of the Father where he ever lives to make intercession for you and I. And one day, one day, you and I will most certainly stand before him. And on that day, I ask you to take serious reflection of your life as you stand there, because you will stand there. We you look to him as the Lamb who was sacrificed to fully pay your debt of sin and reconcile you to God the Father for all eternity, the one who welcomes you with eternal joy, eternal peace into his presence. Or, must you by necessity of your own sin face the lion? Must you stare into his flaming eyes of fire and hear that terrifying roar of perfect justice must you be dashed to pieces like pottery by his iron rod with which he shall judge the nations and that is the question that is most important that you will ever answer to you is he the lion to you is he the lamb now don't misunderstand me he's both at all times to everyone at all times, but will you be the one who receives the mercy from the Lamb who was slaughtered? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have conquered and that, Lord, you are not weak. You're not beaten. That death gave way to victory on the cross. Lord, we thank you that you are both risen and glorified and that You sit at the right hand of the Father in authority. And Lord, You are unmoved from Your throne. You are unthreatened. You are the Lion of the tribe of Judah who has conquered. And yet, Lord, as someone to whom You have revealed Yourself as a Lamb, innocent, victimized, slaughtered for the benefit of others, a sacrifice to wash away and even take away sin, Lord. I thank you for that revelation of yourself. Lord, you could have been the lion for all eternity without ever taking upon yourself the nature or the form of a lamb. But Lord, you are, as Paul says, our Passover lamb and you have set us free from the curse of sin and death forever. Lord, I just ask right now that if there are people here that don't know you that way, Lord God, whether they have deceived themselves into thinking that they, for some religious credential that they might have, know you that way, Lord, I I pray that you would reveal the truth to them, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would show the beauty of your wounds and the beauty of your love and the beauty of your mercy that is is available to them right now if they would only believe. If they would only, God, give up the silliness of trying to be good and just trust you because you are good. God, I pray that you would just show that to them right now. Lord, let this time be a time of renewal and faith in them. Thank you for that, in Jesus' name. If you would stand with me. I am delighted to announce to you that we have sung the gospel this morning, and we have heard the gospel this morning, and now we are going to both see and taste the gospel this morning. And so if our helpers would come to the table and help us... um, we will, we will come forward in a moment and receive the elements of the Lord's table. You know, as I, I always, because we believe in this ordinance, this sacrament so much that I always try to think how what I have tried to share with you connects to this moment. And I would say this, that this this symbol of bread, this symbol of the cup they represent the humanity, the frailty, the sacrifice of Jesus, that He was broken and wounded for you, that His blood was poured out for you to cleanse you of your sins. And yet, the salvation that it works, that sacrifice of His body and the shedding of His blood, that sacrifice proves that he is lion, that he has conquered, that he he is victorious over everything. And so as you come today, you can come first with a heart of thankfulness that the lamb was slaughtered for you. And you can come with a a heart of, of great joy and worship that the lamb that was slaughtered has conquered and he reigns forever and no one, will ever be a threat to his reign. Amen? Amen. Well, you can come forward and receive the elements, take them back to your seats, and then we'll take them together in just a moment. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's take the cup together. Thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice that you have made for us. Lord, don't let us have any illusions to our worthiness, Lord, because we know we have none. And we thank you that you have done this great act of mercy for us out of your great love and not out of our merit, any merit whatsoever on our behalf. And so we thank you for that, Lord. We receive your mercy today. We receive your presence. We receive your, your joy, and the confidence that comes from your saving power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would extend your hands to receiving position, I would just want to pronounce a very powerful benediction about the power of the living God. It says, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, you are dismissed.